0: When Tillamook Ice Cream beckons you to the freezer aisle, which irresistibly creamy flavor do you choose? While you're thinking, try not to fuck up
1: the glass. Tillamook Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy.
0: And we are back with an all new episode of Keep It. I am Ira Madison III.
2: I'm Louis Fertel. This is unusual for me. I'm three quarters of the way through my iced coffee this morning already, which means I will be zippy today. (laughs) Usually I'm only about a couple sips in, but uh, I don't know what happened, what got into me. Do you know what I feel like? Um, Recently, a friend sent to me a try guy. (laughs) <laughs> i don't i've actually never once <laughs> felt like that. um a friend sent to me a list of titles i'm going to read them to you and you guess what they are okay okay ka exclamation point thank you baby exclamation point waiter exclamation point bring me water exclamation point and what a way to want to be exclamation point what are those
0: Loretta Lynn songs.
2: Uh, may she rest. They are not Loretta Lynn songs, but you're actually on the right track. They are literally sequential songs from Shania Twain's Up album. <laughs> Wait, let me make sure. <laughs> an exclamation point in it. Is that the year she was introduced to Red Bull or something? What is going on?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, um. I don't know why I did not remember those titles, but... Uh, waiter, bring piece <laughs> some water.
2: <laughs> That'd be a good Billy on the street game. Shania Twain's song title, our 1930s comedy routine. Is it?
0: <laughs> what? The, fir- the first half of the album is, it's fine. You know, she's not just a pretty face. I'm going to get you good. But then once we get to like, um, all the songs with exclamation points, um, I'm not in the mood, parentheses, to say no. <laughs>
2: the rowdiness is so funny she's truly broader than reba honestly reba has the reputation for the wackiness but shania is simply flying off the hook every song
0: well you know and her new song waking up dreaming is out
2: and that's all you have to say about that (laughs) <laughs> I, I like it okay you do yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah i'm ready for the shania songs
2: right but I, apparently when she was in vegas she was fantastic everybody i know who went mind you everybody i know who went is also a devoted stan and they can't be trusted as you know so i'll have to go investigate yeah. myself at some point
0: that is fair yeah um anyway we've got such a week i want to say that i feel like so much has happened since we last recorded.
2: Oh God, no! Absolutely I, too much. I've lost the, years the the of try my try guy
0: fiasco for one. Yeah, which by the way, um, I had
2: no idea how invested people were in the try guys. Let alone one of them having an extramarital affair. Honey, I can't name these people. I know the gay one <laughs> from seeing him in L.A. Eugene seems nice. Yeah, yeah.
0: People were very shocked how many people were invested on Twitter, and obviously the Tri Guys have fans um, and their own brand um, that's very popular. But also, most of Twitter used to work at BuzzFeed from 2014 and 2017.
2: Well, they certainly brought it the fuck up this week. My God, was I sick of that? <laughs> They're like, if you worked at BuzzFeed in 2015. The things you saw. The things you saw. You saw like Channing Tatum hanging out with puppies. Shut the fuck up." <laughs>
0: You saw Josh Duhamel wandering through our desks looking for coffee.
2: (laughs) 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 Yeah, people treat it like it was like SNL in the 70s. You know, like, yeah, Paul Simon would just be walking through with Carrie Fisher on his arm or whatever.
0: It was random um, working there. And there there are differences between like, I have no idea what went on like the New York offices because I was in L.A. But yeah, I feel like. The, the revisionist history of like how insane it was is um, a bit much. It was mostly just like a bunch of kids doing their jobs underpaid while celebrities walk through.
2: I just imagine there's like, you know, a whiteboard with a, a bunch of like a line graph on it going up. Like, here's where the, the viewers need to go. Here's we need this many eyeballs. So you better nail that list of the 25 times Jenna Dewan Tatum worked it or whatever. i read a lot of buzzfeed at the time i don't mean to denigrate everything (laughs) they put out but
0: i don't know when i think about the fact that i used to write like four articles a day for buzzfeed quote unquote articles mostly lists and other things but it's like coming in in the morning and having um glitter ops meetings glitter ops was the name of my team help me god um (laughs) <laughs> and they investigated mariah in
2: 2001 you remember yes
0: yeah. <laughs> um it's just coming up with like what you were gonna write about and someday you come in and you're like girl i don't know yeah i'm done let me redo something that someone already did
2: yeah <laughs> you're like no, i'm gonna steal 25 tweets about you know th- th- what exactly who was popular at the time Um, uh, you know Tw- 25, yeah 25 thirsty tweets about eddie Redmayne. i don't know
0: uh well that's disgusting
2: <laughs> <laughs> those people all went to jail they're uh, not with us now
0: i do wish i could delete a lot of those buzzfeed things though because i did once upon a time make a post about how i found macklemore attractive
2: whoa you can't take it back here's what i, I can't you, take it back here's what i did brilliantly for years i blogged for sites that all now don't exist so you can't find any of that shit now. And at the time, I considered that a detriment to my career. Like, oh, I can't go back and you know, use these clips I spent all my time on. But ultimately, I saved myself the embarrassment of having to explain why I made a slideshow about, you know, the 20 times Gwen Stefani fell on her face or whatever exploitative thing I wrote.
0: I know, like you cannot find this old article that you wrote once about Kevin James being the new Chris Farley. <laughs> Did I do that? you sure did oh, my, but when i look at the wayback machine uh, like that article is not saved on the archive so well,
2: yeah mm-hmm. it's That's gone a, that was that was when i was i was hungry for hits at movieline.com. i would say is blank the new blank <laughs> except it would be a completely <laughs> offensive idea so people would just get into the comments and shriek and you know throw a knife and all that
0: well we're about to find out if um billy eichner is the new Woody Allen, I don't know.
2: I th- the thought came to my mind only in good ways. I'm I'm not comparing. Them. Oh no, no, yeah.
0: <laughs> the, the, the 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 nice Woody Allen. Yes, um, he he has no Billy. To our knowledge, has no stepchild that he wants to marry.
2: No, to, to our knowledge, that's right. We hate <laughs> assuming yeah, about. He's people. not even
0: married. Right, see, so. it makes it easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and Luke McFarlane was appropriately aged in Bros
2: right no I mean it's kind of the rare rom-com about people in their 40s how many movies how many movies like that exist period you know
0: yeah just um I mean most Judd Apatow movies
2: kind of I get, all right so Judd Apatow now has this sort of uh, collection of films yes they're all a, a 40 year
0: old version and that that one movie about the marriage that I didn't like
2: this is 40 or this is <laughs> yes this yeah. is 40
0: mm-hmm. yeah okay a lot of 40s in his movies
2: wow yeah a series by Jedi. Maybe Patel.
0: this movie should have been called Gay 40.
2: Mm, not, uh, f- uh, 40 Gay Days, 40 Gay Dead Nights. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, wor- I don't work in ad copy. Sorry.
0: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we are going to get into Bros. We're going to get into all of this week's hot releases, actually. Bros. Blonde. Which I watched. Hostess yes. Focus 2.
2: Yes, I also watched that
0: yeah this is a real siskel uh, and ebert
2: episode wow it should get spicy and i'll (laughs) we we can get into a fight where we swig guinness at a local chicago diner or something
0: ira and lewis at the movies
2: you're telling me we can't sell that in the room guys all we're gonna do is watch these movies anyway it's easier if you just give us this show
0: well we tried to sell a keep it show in the room and we saw how that
2: worked guys you should (laughs) have seen us
0: (laughs) unprofessional yeah three years of hitting the pavement in tinseltown
2: (laughs) thank you the narrator from la confidential or whatever the fuck that was
0: also in addition to this conversation about the movies that are out now we are joined by the iconic elegant um fantastic i have so many adjectives for her uh regal isabella rossellini All right, we will be right back with more Keep It. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No. Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it.
2: And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside. And then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code Keep It 15 Don't miss out
0: on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already
2: tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Schmurda to The Wire— Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths.
0: Black perspectives have not always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced, and Black is the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the Black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got?
2: Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from
3: NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Pot Save America is brought to you by Helix. If you're looking for better sleep, you need to upgrade your mattress with Helix. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, the newly released and high-end Helix Elite Collection, mm. a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids, which Charlie has. Charlie has a Helix mattress now, just for kids, in his uh, race car bed. Very nice. excited. Very happy about it. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and uh, it ships straight to your door free of charge. They even offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. If you're a side sleeper, you can choose a model with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief. There are also models with more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. Plus, check out enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating while you sleep. It's no wonder Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. And you, you've loved your Helix I love mattresses. I got a Don Lux. There you go. There you it's go. great. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash crooked. That's helixsleep.com slash crooked. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now.
0: Crooked is bringing you the election coverage you love to hate with Crooked Radio every weekend in October on Sirius XM Progress and on the Sirius XM app. Join our lineup of podcast hosts, candidates, experts and more, including Keep It, as we break down all the issues that matter this November, dive into the conversations shaping our current political climate and give only 100 percent correct opinions in politics. And it's October. So Michael Myers is joining us, too.
2: You don't want to miss this. Subscribe now and get up to four months free of SiriusXM. XM. See offer details at SiriusXM.com slash crooked.
0: It was another big weekend for movies, but actually only if you're the horror movie smile.
2: Right. Which people apparently love. I haven't seen it yet.
0: I haven't seen it yet either um, because I promised um, my friend Drew that I would see it with him and I have not been back in town to see it with him because uh, i'm a liar but um that movie's budget has been Im- immense smile's been everywhere and i want to say that the creepy marketing campaign of people like standing up doing the creepy smile at baseball games surprised those people did not get hurt yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> clever marketing campaign though <laughs> but no we have three movies that we're going to talk about this week. Um, first of them, bros, let's get into it. Which, the movie did not do well at the box office.
2: Yes, it made something like $4.8 million or something. And obviously, it's a, for, for a rom-com in general, it has a pretty big budget. Uh, but at the same time, I don't mean to say this to throw shade at anybody who made the movie, but I'm also not surprised because, one... I just think it's rare that a rom-com would do well, period, let alone... Especially
0: in October.
2: Yeah, the October placement is a little bit strange. Yes, this is Blanchette season. You need to not get in the way of that. Um, (laughs) The girls
0: are waiting for Tar. Yeah, Okay.
2: Oh, by the way, I have my ticket for that. That will be coming up next week. See (laughs) see you at AMC on Thursday of the day before it comes out officially. Um, uh, But also... I don't know like like for instance train wreck which is the movie I still would most compare bros to by mm. the time that came out I mean everybody definitely knew who Amy Schumer was it would have been crazy if you had not seen either an Amy Schumer special or uh, inside Amy Schumer which by the way I'm very thrilled is coming back I fucking love that show I'm psyched for that
0: but I just started watching that for the first time by the way uh because my friend Paul McCallion was like it's really funny oh yeah and I had only seen sketches here and there and it's kind of great. And, oh, the point I of view like is we're so now strong in this era a, reevaluating Amy.
2: Yeah. No, it, for, for a sketch show it had a, a really strong point of view and a necessary one in that genre. But um yeah, like Billy obviously has had multiple uh TV triumphs over the years namely um Billy on the Street a show he created where he screams at people on the street. I of course wrote for that. Full disclosure, I'm a friend of Billy's, so know that going forward in this conversation. But I still think, like, t- for him to vault from that and like American Horror Story appearances to marquee star, like, I could see that being a, a lot of audience members still not knowing who he is or not knowing he can act like that. And by the way, I do think this mm-hmm. is his best acting performance today, too.
0: It's he's very good in the film, yeah. and I would agree with that too. Mostly because what Amy Schumer did, Trey Rat comparing it to that, you know, like she was doing stand up, like she was yeah. sort of. Everywhere too, you know, like whether it was controversial or not, you know, and I still think that building on the street is somewhat niche. And his biggest grossing film, um, he played a meerkat.
2: That's right. He, I, I knew what it was the minute you said it. Yes. Yeah. In fact, it's like uh, he did one get of the to highest grossing movies of all time, right? Yeah.
0: Right. He did get to stand next to Beyonce, which, you know, not everybody gets. No. Uh, and is close friends with Mariah Carey. So we love that, you know. But um, I think, like, the sitcom Difficult People, is maybe even too far removed from the release of this film. And I know it took Billy a long time to get this movie made as well. Uh, But it's interesting, the conversation around, you know, this versus gay film streaming, you know, with the Fire Island stuff earlier this summer. And it's almost like, I feel like the film will find an audience, but on streaming, unfortunately.
2: Well, it's interesting because I've seen a lot of people come up with, what I'll what I'll call glib arguments for why the movie didn't do well, and 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 then there's defensive people glib are, online. I know it seems crazy, and in a tweet, <laughs> yeah. Um, but people like, well, you can't blame. X and X because we we have things like RuPaul's Drag Race, like Moonlight was a hit, you know about uh, regarding people going to see things that are gay related. First of all, if we're gonna talk about RuPaul's Drag Race, it took forever for that show to become a phenomenon. Like for instance, mm-hmm. and, like, and like, nominated for Emmys, etc. You know, it was something you watched on cable with your gay friends before, and it it didn't hold the national conversation, and it, it it wasn't like mandatory viewing for gay people until many years in. Um, and also, a movie like. Like, I don't know, dramas, but like when people bring up Brokeback Mountain, it's like, I think people are more comfortable watching gay people in gay peril drama. than watching gay people having a good time. Like it's it, it's 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 homework they want to do if it's gay people in trouble mm-hmm. and if it's gay people just living their lives, they're like, well, I don't have to see that I live my own life, you know.
0: But it's also, you know, there's. you also can't compare a film like this to a drama that's in awards contention. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. people are being told, like, it's great, you know? And also, Moonlight had, like, multiple different demographics wanting to see it. You know, it was a queer film, you know, but also it was, like, a black film, you know, and it was an awards film, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, this has the gay stuff going for it. I will actually say that, A large part of the problem is, you know, the marketing. I mean, listen, we know these Judd Apatow films. We know like 40-year-old Virgin, Knocked Up, like Bridesmaids, you know, like the thing those movies do well is one, not be released in October when it's like (laughs) award season and horror movie season. There's a reason Smile beat it, you know, Uh, it's a cheaply made horror movie and everyone's going to go see a horror movie um, opening weekend, but also like the trailer. I think if you remember from the trailer, like, you know, the like straight people had a good run joke, mm-hmm. you know? I think that, like, for a movie like that, you need like the one, like, big, sort of raunchy joke that is in the trailer that is everywhere. Yeah. You know, everyone knows like the one joke from like every comedy they love that, cause it was in the trailer. And Correct. it's everywhere, you know? And I think that the, trailers didn't really do the work of it i think that the poster unfortunately doesn't do the work of it the poster doesn't tell you what the movie is
2: no and also it it, it, i feel like the the poster which is two guys from behind with hands on each other's butt it sort of looks like the the born in the usa album cover or something yeah it it doesn't get to the spirit of the film which is one like somewhat acidic humor there's whimsical romance in it this feels to me a little bit more coded like I don't know what you think you're going to see from that movie, but it's not what you actually get in, in the film. I wish
0: I'd seen Bruce Springsteen in the movie.
2: That would have been cute. Um, <laughs> but, you're, but like a movie I keep thinking of in this regard is American Pie, which had no mm. stars, you know, in, in the leads anyway. You know, you might have heard of one, of like, I don't know, someone like Tara Reid maybe before it came out, but you weren't seeing the movie for someone like her. And why that movie became a phenomenon, and it's like, it really assured audiences: you are getting this raunchy good time. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're going to be gagged by some of the 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 visuals in this, by what the characters say, etc. And what you got? In fucking the, a pie. Yeah, fucking a pie. Right. Have you seen that in a movie before? No. Um, whereas in the Bros trailer, I think it went. It was almost a bit unassuming. You know, like you don't mm-hmm. really have to see this. Here are a few jokes that are lightly at straight people's expense. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, unfortunately, like I go to the I go to the movies for entertainment, you know, and I'm never going to be swayed by like, I need to see this film for gay activism Mm -hmm. unfortunately which is how it was marketed a bit and it's mostly because we've been tricked into this thing by movie studios that like we have to show up for everything if it's a black film you have to show up for it it's a gay film you have to show up for it because there's that dangling carrot of are you ever going to get another one you know right and Mm -hmm. i think that like those films still have to offer the audience something else in the marketing and i think that unfortunately like the past few weeks, like leading up to it, a lot of it became, you know, like we need to see this to support gay mainstream films, you know, which I want to see it because it's raunchy, right? Because it's funny, you know?
2: And there's something I think, unfortunately about that kind of marketing where you're emphasizing, Oh, it's the first of its kind in this way, this way, and this way, where it almost seems like you're getting away from, well, this is something you'll really like, you know, you're, mm. you're, you're treating it like homework as opposed to, um, no just something you have to see you know i think it, yeah. if there's a vibe about a movie that makes it seem really funny you know i think people galvanize pretty quickly um yeah. I, I mean i think there are also like myriad other reasons why it didn't work I, again like I, billy is is a, a kind of a new idea for a marquee start like we we brought up woody allen before but mm-hmm. i think woody allen took a few years before people were like, oh, I trust this person to go see movies with him. And he played like the same personality again and again. So people kind of came to know what to expect by the time Annie Hall was a phenomenon, for example. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, like it's not like what's up, Tiger Lily, you know, made a lot of money. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. You you sort of have to work up to that moment um, and, you know. We both love Billy. And, you know, this isn't obviously the end of his career. So um I'm excited for it. And, you know, as one of his first as his first film, you know, and,
2: and just and by the, way, come. the jokes in it are fucking hilarious. I mean, the, I, I constantly am missing from pop culture. I, I feel routinely shamed for wanting to make um jokes that are pop culture references or whatever. I think there are a lot of people who think that's mm-hmm. a workaround or they'll become dated quickly or something. Meanwhile everybody who listens to this show will know this. I literally think in terms of pop culture, if something happens mm-hmm. to me that is unusual in my life, I'm comparing it to a movie I saw or whatever, a, a celebrity who said something at one point. And I find a lot of, I think celebrities and pop culture are a great way to communicate with each other. So, mm-hmm. and I don't, I, 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 I personally find that to be nothing but a joy. to it though, too. Yes, right. You know, mm-hmm. like you
0: can't just say, um, you know, like, um, a quote from anchorman call it a day you know No. there's there's a different art to referencing pop culture like in a show like 30 rock or something where um you know we um you have to sort of know your audience and you have to know the reference and you have to be commenting on it as well you know it's not just sitting around with the straight kids in middle school like hearing them um quote seinfeld reruns back to you
2: right Right. Right. Right.
0: There's something more.
2: Yeah. there. Right. Exactly. It's it's that you've processed pop culture as if it's a mutual friend you guys all have. And we're going to talk about it that way. Um, anyway, this movie does that brilliantly. It's my favorite thing about the movie. And if you haven't seen it yet, I, I mean, I would be blown away if you didn't like the movie. It's that good. So,
0: yeah, uh, I think Guy Branham is fantastic. You know? um, yeah, and uh, um, another, another
2: person, obviously, he's co-hosted uh, our own podcast several times. Um, One of a kind person. I mean, again, I I think I posted about this on my Instagram the other day, but it's rare that there's a gay comic who might be better at trivia than I am. And I have nothing but reference for him. Like, I don't (laughs) want to kill Guy Brown.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, yeah, I thought the movie was fun. I will say one note is, um not to bring up one of my favorite Douglas Sirk quotes, uh-huh. uh, but people would always ask him, you know, like, what his movie is about, and were they commenting on things, and were they realism, and, you know, like, he has this great interview where he's just sort of like, you know, no, because I feel like the moment, like, you start to make a movie about something is sort of when you failed, and I don't, I'm not saying that this is a failure, um because I enjoyed the movie, but I will say, my least favorite parts of the movie were where it felt like we were teaching LGBTQ history.
2: Sure. Yeah.
0: You know, because I feel like I, I feel like the movie by being like a raunchy, funny, gay film on its own is the activism and the lesson in and of itself. You know, Billy's character is the lesson in and of itself, you know. So even though all those fucking people are funny, hard Neff, you know, Miss Lawrence from Real Housewives, you know, um, T.S. Madison, yes. you know, like they're all fucking funny people. You know, uh, I wish moments I were wishing they were just like funny and going back and forth with each other instead of talking about, you know, LGBTQ culture. Right. I still recoil whenever I hear the phrase Cis white male <laughs> on screen, yeah, like like even like saying it as a joke now, it just feels like it's so been taken over by like people on the internet talking about yeah, uh-huh. yeah it's fraught, you know, and I have to imagine like if it makes us recoil, it has to make like straight and non queer people recoil too,
2: yes, well, you know what I will compare that to, um, uh, and pardon me, people who don't want me to say this name ever again. When Madonna when Madonna made Ray of Light,
0: <laughs> something changed. We're and, gonna start a Madonna ticker. Yeah, right. <laughs> we did a buzzer yeah, or something. Like I'm zapped. Uh, yeah, right over here.
2: Um, but when she made Ray of Light, which of course was a, a critical success. Something changed in her. It's like she thought she stopped thinking that she herself was the message and that she had to have another message to deliver. And that's when the lyrics became a bit pretentious. And that's when the lyrics became a bit nonsensical, if you're asking me.
0: Miss mm. um, Kabbalah.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That era.
0: Miss Bracelet.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Miss Bracelet. Remember Britney and uh, Every Time <laughs> Video moving on. Um, but anyway, it's like, no, like for certain people them existing and you know conveying that life however they can is still revelatory you know who who el- who's the other billy eichner in movies you know it just it just mm-hmm. doesn't exist
0: yeah um well which was more annoying during that era live strong bracelets or kabbalah bracelets Ooh.
2: well i would say that well, Livestrong bracelets did not give luxury to me. Whereas if you mm. had a Kabbalah bracelet, I know you've been to a couple meetings and I think Stella McCartney mm-hmm. was at one of them. So I think there's a little bit of exotic lords there. working
0: yeah. class. Yes. Um, even though it was mostly just rich white kids at my high school who had them. Um, but it was more of a bro athlete thing. Right. Um,
2: and, and, and the yeah. liar thing.
0: Yes. <laughs> you brought up Madonna. Uh, and now I have to say that I've just rewatched this 84 um, interview that she gave, you know, uh, music. She's like on a panel with um, James Brown and Oh um, with Um, um Oates. Oates. Yes. yes. Oh, it's one yes. of the best interviews and ever. I had, yeah. I had never seen it before. I was talking to my friend Lucas Tim about it, uh, who's like a huge Madonna um, stan. Um, and it's just, you know me, I love Hall and Oates. Like I've got my Hall and Oates tattoo, but like seeing Oates in 84 be like um you know i got in this industry to be a musician and people who got into this industry to be a musician they don't want to also be an actor you know and yeah, he's railing um, against the existence
2: of music videos as a way to sell mu- artists yes. primarily yeah
0: yeah because this was like 84 and like the whole like both most of the conversation is like music videos should artists have to do them Uh, Madonna's like I think it's a great way to reach People who can't go and see your concerts And she's like when you're performing on Stage like it's the same thing as Acting you know when you know if you Just put a camera on them it's the same thing And then like when he went on his tirade uh, She turns to him she says you're acting Now
2: which is the Own
3: (laughs) of owns He
2: he has to stop speaking at that Moment and she like gives that like Signature bastardly uh, snicker After which she's like you're acting now (laughs) like that (laughs) I like I like the 84
0: (laughs) I like the 84 interviews of her because she's like she's sure of herself but she's also still deferential to icons in the music industry a bit like she snaps at him because they're arguing but like when she talks about other people like James Brown and people being on the panel and George Clinton she's like speaking as like you know like I'm grateful to be here you know right and it's interesting to see Madonna in that era of like i'm grateful to be here
2: and and also like yeah i know debbie harry preceded me five minutes ago you know like, yeah. yeah aware of where she exists on the timeline
0: mm-hmm. um last side note did you read that great interview with um karen um oh i did Vulture? not
2: and she uh, the yeah, yeah yes we're just on kimmel too so i didn't
0: uh it was really good and like i think uh alex young asked her a question about like um A random moment, she had gotten, like, advice from Debbie Harry. She says, um, in Lizzie Goodman's book, Meet Me in the Bathroom, there's a story about how um, Karen approached Debbie Harry for advice on how to navigate being a girl in a boy's world. And she told her, just enjoy it while it lasts. And her response was ambivalent. And uh, Karen was like, um she feels bad about that incident because she was wasted then like she tapped debbie on the shoulder and like she's probably just doing trying to enjoy herself and this young sloppy girl comes up to this badass and she's like but the advice wasn't very helpful at the time um and she says but maybe that's something i would say 10 years from now (laughs) but i love that like karen o taps debbie harry all the shoulders like how do I be like a girl in a boy's world? She's like, enjoy it while it lasts.
2: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> haunting,
0: <laughs> giving uh a Winona
2: Ryder and Black Swan.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. So the other polarizing movie this weekend was Blonde. And let me tell you, this movie is trash.
2: Well, Blonde first of all <laughs> is blonde. Uh <laughs> It was two hours forty. It is, fuck is David is Lean so behind the, the
0: camera? What the fuck? I was like, listen, Marilyn of Arabia uh,
2: motherfucker? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was like, let's talk about the assassination of Marilyn Monroe by the coward Andrew Dominic. <laughs> oh my god. Well, it's
2: such a man's idea of quote unquote. Uh, adding dimension to a woman's life because, truly, this movie is f- one of the most lead-in movies in recent memory, to me. And, secondly, painting someone as a perpetual... I'm not going to say victim. I'm going to use a different made-up word, which is suffer does not mean you think of them as a human being. It means... And I'm, we're
0: not talking about voters, no. okay?
2: <laughs> no. This is not about Adeline Payne, and Susan B. Anthony. No. yes,
0: She... I love Anna de Armas I thought she was great. Out.
2: I thought she was actually great in this movie. Honestly. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think she's good too, but there is something about how she has to portray basically a baby. The entire film. Yeah. She's, she's a woman who like, I, there's rarely any scenes where she is taking action of her own volition. It's constantly just men bouncing her back and forth. And the idea, like, it's not novel, the idea that, like, you know, like, there was a conflict between who Norma Jean was and Marilyn Monroe was. But, like, the idea that she absolutely hated seeing herself on screen and being in films, it's like, well, bitch, why are you an actress? <laughs> I'm confused. You know, like, let's, let's, let's let's examine that, yeah. you know?
2: No, um, no, you're right. There's not a mo- moment in this movie where she does anything that reveals a, a real character. It's like she suffers through some indignity or worse, you know, some human rights violation basically and then uh she sort of like nervously giggles at what's happening or eventually bursts into tears but that's it it's like it's a, like a movie scolding everybody who was little, around her, her entire life and that's it
0: it's a little don't worry darling to yeah. be honest mm-hmm. you know a little like i was thinking of rosemary's baby it's like it's one of those woman figuring things out films except she never figures it out
2: no she's just a, a, a tragedy from beginning to end yes
0: and i want to say one of the weirdest things is like the relationship that's concocted um between chaplin junior and edward g robinson junior um and she's allegedly did date charles Cha- chaplin junior um and maybe was involved with edward g robinson for like a hot second but like there's, like, this whole threesome, like, that's built up between these three. And, like, it's also the insinuation that, like, Charles Chaplin and Edward G. Robinson, like, are a couple, too. But I'm, like, this is where I'm talking about, like, her being bounced back and forth from men to men. And, like this like, this man's idea of a woman. Like, even the depiction of her in a threesome with two men, and two men who seem to be in a relationship with each other as well, is devoid of anything sexy. And like Charles and um Edward in the film, like they never even kiss one another while having sex with her. They never fuck one another. It's just sort of like you're presenting a gay couple who was dating Marilyn Monroe on screen, and they are devoid of sexuality too. It's just very weird.
2: Also, the way they act towards her is, like, gross. They're, like, leering and, like, they just feel like a bunch of hands that are constantly all over her. The sex is, like, really icky. Honestly, do you know what I would kind of compare I mean, we this talked about to? gross
0: people. I mean, it reminds me of Repulsion.
2: Right. Oh, we can go into that movie sometime. You know, sometime.
0: This, the scenes where Catherine didn't have, it's just, like, the hands coming at her from the hallway. Right. Um, I, I, God, we talked about Polanski and Woody Allen in this episode.
2: We win, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, honestly a movie I would kind of compare it to, and I know people love this movie, but similar problem to me is Spencer, where they think they're mm. adding dimension to this, this, the beloved icon's life, but really all they're doing is making all the people around her seem like flat villains and then turning into like some sort of opera, her quote unquote inner struggle, even though her inner struggle is just crying.
0: So I wanted to ask you about that too, because like I was talking with, um, my friend um, Juan Ramirez is like a reporter from the New York Times who likes this film for some reason. Um, <laughs> but, his, but he did ask, like, why didn't people have some of the same complaints about Spencer um, yeah, well, first of all, it's because br- he well, thought Spencer does the same thing.
2: Yes, no, and I agree. And also, well, first of all, it's a briefer film, mercifully. Um, and then <laughs> <laughs> Second,
0: Spencer's like a commercial, yes, to be honest, compared yeah. to this film.
2: But also, like, I feel like Spencer more artfully gets into the surreal than this movie does. Like, any mm-hmm. sort of surreal kafka-esque touches in this movie are just to say, "Well, here comes another." disgusting things she went through you know what well, guess how jfk treated her like that's it
0: true and i would say that like even if you don't like spencer like pablo lorraine like i think you think he's a good director
2: yes yeah uh not asking interesting questions about the women he makes movies about but i do think he's talented yes
0: <laughs> um and I will also say that, like you know, like that, you know, by nature of us sort of knowing more about Diana, um, she at least she at least has a purpose in that. Like something she wants to do.
2: Yes. Right.
0: Yeah. She ma- wants to get out of that fucking house. Yeah. Marilyn you know? is just
2: haplessly like walking away from a horrible childhood. And by the way, I want to give Julia Nicholson some props. She's given a, a thanklessly mm. wretched mother character and does amazing with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, the whole film is people like with wretched characters like doing putting in work. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um speaking of wretched characters, um, my king, Bobby Cannavale yes. plays Joe DiMaggio. And I think the greatest crime that has ever been done to cinema is hot people constantly playing Joe DiMaggio. Have you seen that man's face? He has
2: a memorable He looks like Mr. Ed. Yeah. <laughs> he does have a wonderful nose. Uh, But that's about it. I will say also Adrian Brody really good as Arthur Miller in this movie.
0: He is. And you know what? I will allow Adrian Brody playing Arthur Miller because Adrian Brody is alien looking. um, And also I think playwrights deserve to be represented by hot people on screen. No. Unless you're David Mamet.
2: Correct. That's progress. Unless, of course, you're you're hot and playing David Mamet. Please don't do that. Um, uh, Also, Adrian Brody to me, I have always thought of him synonymously in my head with "get ready." Do you know what Clue Master Detective is? The expanded version of the board game.
0: Uh, with the with the new um, yes, Miss Peach and Madame Rose.
2: He looks exactly like Monsieur <laughs> Brunette to me, and I want him to play that in a Clue Master Detective <laughs> silver screen adaptation. Please do it, Adrian Brody.
0: Call it Ryan Reynolds.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, I guess they're working on it. Never mind. Throw all these people in there. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Also, Um, I don't know.
0: Stick him in a stick him in a Knives Out film.
2: Yes. I mean, we kind of he had had that air a little bit in Midnight in Paris, too, to bring up Woody Allen one more time. Uh, Playing Salvador Dali, correct?
0: Yeah. I mean girl i rewatched manhattan this weekend okay (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) meryl luminous in that film yes because we were talking uh i was talking about you know billy and like woody Allen sort of like early days and how that sort of like a model of like who he could be you know because like you know um and i i think we should have more insufferable gay protagonists to be honest
3: (laughs) right Uh, totally to to get back
0: to to get back to bros i think it actually wasn't navel gazy enough
2: Right. No, he he has
0: self-indulgence.
2: He has monologues in that movie where I'm like, oh, you're speaking not for me, but this is the closest I've ever seen to like a lead character in a movie resembling a life that is like mine. And I'm not saying I need like excess representation on the silver screen, but to even hear a little bit of it, pretty jarring. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Um, I will also say that what's the last thing about that? Uh a last thing about bros again, but like would you say he's more Tom Hanks or the Meg Ryan? Hmm.
2: I'm going to say, well, I would say he's more Billy Crystal.
0: Yeah. More than Billy Crystal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that, um, w- with a
2: little bit of a Meg Ryan, um, don't mm-hmm. fuck with me fellas vibe.
0: Yeah. So I, so I think like for his next film, I liked Luke, but I think for his next film, we, he needs to be opposite a Meg Ryan. Mm. He needs to be opposite a star that people know that is like, and they have like, crackling sexy chemistry but people are going to be like i want to see those two together
1: yeah
2: it would be interesting to see him i think maybe dating a younger person too i'm not saying i thought luke mcfarlane was actually fabulous in this movie really enjoyed him but like whatever put troy savant next to billy eichner i want to see what happens
0: Mm. yeah or you know like we have a myriad of like younger um gay that's um, true actors now you know i would say um lucas hedges
2: right Uh, by the way what are we doing with lucas hedges right now last i saw lucas he was wearing boots out of coyote ugly out on the town with uh tommy dorfman Dorfman, yes
0: (laughs) i there has not done anything since the premise that bj novak anthology on fx mm. um and on screen was the last thing we saw lucas and was um let them all talk
2: jesus christ what the hell this is a disaster this is an oscar-nominated you,
0: actor i hope she's shooting something yeah and not just on. you know walking around town like nancy sinatra
2: <laughs> <laughs> which she did very elegantly i don't mean to say she's uh, lucas can't do that
0: the last thing I want to say about this film is that um, my um, favorite tweet about it was when someone said that, like, Joyce Cole Oates was, like, basically too ugly to be writing about Marilyn
2: Monroe. Jesus <laughs> Christ. People were, oh and yeah, there was a the whole was over her. this. Yes, right. <laughs> also, apparently it has very little to do with the book itself. Like, the uh, the filmmaker, say his name again.
0: Andrew dominant
2: yes he said like they use that as a bible but nothing in particular is taken from the book so I don't know what that means those feel like contradictory statements to me but
0: well anyway Joyce is a mess too so there you go (laughs) Um, blonde that's what we think of it now hocus pocus too because we famously on this podcast don't like the original.
2: No. And my problem with the original is it's mainly not about the three very funny comic stars who are on the post. Yes. Right. No, it's about these like kids and they're super boring. The movie can't figure out what to do with itself. And there are a couple of good one liners that Bette Midler gets. But this movie, this new movie, I just want to say still doesn't really focus on the three witches enough. Like it still is about these other people. And it's like, can we just have them hanging out like in an absolutely fabulous type environment where it's just about the three of these people? But,
0: yeah, what's our practical magic with yeah. these three like mm-hmm. like every time they're on screen together, it is amazing, Like they 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 have great chemistry i' I'm,
2: I'm, I'm sure you book them for this movie, telling them, well, you know you're not the the only stars it won't be that much of a time commitment or something, whatever, but I want to say Bette Midler not skipping a beat, she was very funny throughout, which shouldn't surprise me. She obviously recently had a legendary run in hello Dolly, but It was really cool to see her still like giving those sideways glances. Those really broad comical moments that you associate with very old Bette Midler as opposed to. And I'm not saying she was bad in the movie, but watching Sarah Jessica Parker in this movie, I would compare her doing this movie to when Amy Poehler came back to do Wet Hot American Summer 2, where Mm -hmm. you realize since she did that first project. The type of characters she played are totally different now. Like Amy Poehler Mm -hmm. used to be among the silliest people you would ever see in a project. You know, if you watch her on Conan O'Brien, she's playing like banshees who are screaming or like little kids, things like that. And as time went on, she became really adept and prolific at playing mature characters, you know. And Sarah Mm -hmm. Jessica Parker, obviously a Sex and the City and, uh, and just like that. But also like you think of her as somebody who plays roles like Divorce and mm-hmm. to for her to harken back to that time in her career when she was this wild card person who would be an ed wood or honeymoon in vegas or la story was really fascinating because you she truly would never play roles like that ever again
0: i know but i miss that like square peg of yeah. jessica parker mm-hmm. i miss you know um girls just want to have fun
2: yeah girls bring just wanna, her back yeah, right I i, I just say it's like she would have no reason to revisit that that's something she already did you know by the way have i said this before do you know what sarah jessica parker's first line in the movie ed wood is no if i'm not mistaken ed wood is reading a review of his newest thing which is a disaster and uh, uh sarah jessica parker plays an actress who's in it and she looks at the review and the first thing she says is am i really a horse face can you believe all that we have fucking dragged this woman through? It's so fucking st- like that, Is that supposed to be some like in-joke she has to be on in on? And then I have to watch her say it? It's just like the ick of all time. Also, she's fucking gorgeous.
0: You know what her first line in Mars attacks us? Here
2: we go. <laughs> what is it? No, I mean, seriously. Oh, really? Go ahead. Oh, I thought this was about to be a yeah. guy. Go
0: ahead. No, Glenn Close, like when the aliens are coming in, like Glenn Close is like, "Where's these um, aliens from? Jupiter?" and she says, "No, Mars attacks."
2: <laughs> That's funny.
0: It was a it was a bit. <laughs> oh damn it! I hate you. Yeah.
2: No, Mars attacks. <laughs> then the, the title hits the screen.
0: <laughs> uh, I love when like a title hits the screen after someone says the line. Yeah, and it's like it's it's funny to me thinking about like. A title hitting the screen like 45 minutes into a movie
2: right oh that's fine it reminds me a little bit of when uh, vox lux has the horrific first act where there's like a school shooting and then we get the, the entire credits of the movie 15 minutes in when people fuck with us like that sometimes i'm like you're pretentious but also that is kind of cool
0: yeah you know, I still haven't seen Columbine, the musical, nope. <laughs> but people tell me I would love Vox Lux.
2: It's two exclamation points. Columbine, exclamation point, exclamation point. But yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the characters, unforgettable, indelible.
0: Yeah. So better than the first Hocus Pocus or not?
2: Oh, I would say definitely. Yes, um, it's better. Yeah. I mean, it's just more focused. It give, it It, it zeroes in more on the thing you really wanted from the original Hocus Pocus. I just continue to be baffled when people love that movie because it's not like clue where i do think people slightly overhype clue including myself it's like the movie i've definitely seen the most times There are definitely parts of that movie that don't work that are over long that aren't funny or they're too broad or whatever but hocus pocus i i real, i really struggle to understand what the, we were the good scene is yeah
0: we were like five yeah um and also that's a conversation for another day like movies that we love that we've seen too much that are like there's scenes that don't work i have found this in revisiting heathers which i fucking love Mm -hmm. um but some of the scenes are just like so long and like repetitive a lot of talk repetitive and it's like cut like 20 minutes from heathers and it's a better movie
2: yeah definitely definitely
0: Mm. anyway coming up isabella rossellini joins us
1: For the love of home.
0: Today we are delighted to be joined by actual royalty, an icon you know from such films as Death Becomes Her, Blue Velvet, and much more that we'll get to. Also, a farmer whose art often intersects with her deep love of animals. And her latest one-woman show, Darwin's Smile, opens in Los Angeles this weekend. And we are thrilled to welcome to keep it the elegant and delightful Isabella Rossellini.
5: Oh, thank you so much. What an introduction.
2: (laughs) But you hear your voice for even two seconds and you already live up to it. There's like like, the room changes when you start speaking. Do you get that feeling often?
5: (laughs) Is it my accent? I tried very much to erase it, but you can't. Okay, well, I was <laughs>
0: unable. Uh, no, I feel like there's something about um, your quality, like the voice, just the way you speak, that just sort of like gives a bit of regal, and maybe it's the accent, but even even when you're doing comedy, I mean, I mentioned these iconic films, but you know, I feel like um, I am constantly going back to. Your appearances on like Thirty Rock, which is, is so wild to me, um, you just doing that later in your career, and um, and you work so much too. Still, like, um, do you still find joy from being on set uh, after doing it for so long?
5: Yeah, I'm, I'm totally surprised. He's here at turn seventy, and I didn't think I was going to work at seventy. Not because uh, one is tired, but just because there is less work. So it's true that for women at least, (laughs) there is not much work between 55 and 65, 50 and 65. My mama, that was also an actress, Ingrid Bergman, warned me, said, You know, there is a certain age where there is not much work because you are too old to be the love interest. Uh, Not that at 55 you don't have a a love interest, but it's not portrayed in films. And you are too young to portray grandmother or the prime minister or whatever and so I did experience that and that's what made me become also a farmer because in the years I wasn't really working nor as a model nor as an actress I went back to university and took a master's degree on animal behavior and conservation and bought a farm and and then job as an actress came back so now I'm working a lot as an actress and as a farmer.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Also, uh, it's interesting that this is uh, a live show you're doing. Talk about your journey into doing just live performances. I mean, I think of you primarily as uh, you know, movie actress, and occasionally a
5: TV actress. Yeah. Well, I started to write. Uh, uh, you know, in that period that I wasn't really working uh, and I was going to university, I found out uh, about animal and animal behavior. It was fascinating, and I first started with a, a series of short film, comical film for Sandance Channel. Called Green porn That's yes, yes. fabulous. Uh, yes. Fabulous. Yeah. And uh, they went viral. Uh, they were incredibly successful. And so then I made a second series, uh, pr- pr- as they quoted, seduce me, and another one about motherhood and all these different ways because biodiversity exists. So you don't think that everything is a couple, male, female having babies. Sometimes uh, they are hermaphrodites. Uh, so each individual is a male or female. Sometimes they are animals that are called scientifically sequential hermaphrodites. They are born one sex and they become another sex aging. So all these things I thought were so amusing because we might have uh, learned them in school, but they, I don't know, I didn't remember that maybe professor was very clear about it. So, <laughs> so I made a series uh, comical about uh, nature and uh, that went viral. And then from that, uh, a friend of mine who's a, a French actress called Carole Bouquet said, you got to make monologues using all these short, short films that you have done, because at the end I made about 50 short films. And I did my first monologue and then I continue. And this Darwin Smile is my third monologue. And this one is based on expression of emotions and studies that have been done on animals and how they express emotion. And expression of emotion is also the job of an actress, isn't it? So in this one, I talk about expression of emotion in animal and in humans but also my experience as an actress and how do you reconstruct this emotion to fakingly portray them in films. So this one connects all my different interests. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have to imagine, you know, um, with such varied interests like that too, um, you're you're a great person to like have a conversation with like over dinner. I mean, my, um, Jenny Slate was on our podcast recently and she discussed how she got you to be in... Um, Marcel, the show with the shoes on, and, you know, she, you yeah. uh, cooking like a dinner for her. And I'm just like, do you love just sort of like, what are conversation topics, I feel like, do you love to bring up with guests when you have over, like, I assume like people just love to hear more about animals in general. I mean, this, this is fascinating to me.
5: Well, a lot of people like animals and a lot of people... You know, they might, uh, they might say, my dog, uh, uh, you know, my dog is very attached to me. I, he tells me things. And then, then they wouldn't recognize that other animals have intelligence, saying, no, only human beings have intelligence. Although they might treat their dog uh, like uh, a cognitive uh, being. So the science now has proven the animal is not only instinct. They are also degrees of different inte- but of, of intelligence. And this is a new science, and it's quite fascinating. Also, because if you think about it, we only have five senses was human being. And our senses, we perceive a certain range uh, of color. But animals might see in the ultraviolet color. They can hear better than us. They can smell things we don't smell. So the world uh, in front of their eyes or in front of their ears, because sometimes they don't have eyes. It's completely different. They perceive the world completely different than we do. And that is also incredibly fascinating to me. I wish I could make a film about that. Wouldn't it be great talking about surrealism? That would be amazing. But still, the images haven't come to my mind. If they will, I will make that film. I will make that clip. It
2: seems like a good topic to be fascinated with because you can never be done learning about it. You know, there's always some animal you don't know about. There's always some species, I'm sure, that's mind-blowing. Do you find yourself still constantly reading up, constantly getting new information?
5: Oh, Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I think that one of... I was not very good when I went to school when I was at the right age. I wasn't good at all, and... uh, But when I went back as an adult in my 50s, it's actually, it was wonderful because uh, it was pure curiosity. You know, there wasn't a pressure like you study, but now you have to get a job and you have to monetize your uh, knowledge. I just did it out of pure curiosity. And it was such a relief of all the pressure of the exam, the grades uh, and all that. So, uh, yes, I continue being very curious and uh, I find enormous joy in following my
0: curiosity um you brought up um surrealism a bit you know and the grid porter was uh a bit of that as well um where did you find that your love of sort of telling stories in that way came from i mean was it inspired you know by working you know with um lynch on like blue velvet and you know like wild at heart or was it something that you know you learned um early on sort of um as an instinct
5: so probably being a raconteur <laughs> telling story probably something that i was born with mm-hmm. i also come from a family of raconteur my father my father was a, absolutely a film director. oh was he yeah. oh yeah that's right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my mother was an actress so telling story was part of my upbringing. And so probably I acquired from them or I acquired genetically, I don't know, or or both genetically and culturally. So telling story and listening to story, uh, it's fun for me. Then when I started to direct my own short little film, I realized that my style was a little bit surreal and and comical, Mm -hmm. um, which wasn't something that I had done a great deal of comical films, uh, uh, so it, it was my tone, it was my language. And I also thought, uh, ah, maybe that's why I got along so well with David Lynch and I understood him so well, because a lot of people say, we don't understand David Lynch's story. <laughs> but I did. I mean, I didn't, it's not the narrative is not important, you know, has, what happened to that person? Did he go to that appointment or didn't go? That doesn't matter. But there is a, a truth of the feeling that you feel inter- interiorly, even the kind of confusion. I remember uh, David once defending himself from the accusation of, the, I can't understand your film. He said, but you enter into a room and immediately there is an atmosphere. And you know immediately if you have to say, hello, how are you? To the people, you say, hey, hello, how are you? Why? That's what is interesting to me, that there is a, 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 that's a mystery, but yet there is an atmosphere that makes us behave. And that was what he tried to capture. And I I was absolutely clear about that. So it wasn't so much the narrative, why were these people sitting in that room and what were they doing? But the aura that people have and the the mood that you constantly pick up. And uh, so that is very clear in his film. So anyway, my films as a director were quite surreal and comical. And, uh, and the surrealism of it, uh, I didn't expect. When I wrote it, I just wrote it trying to follow what I wanted to explain. And funny, you know, I think that when you make it funny, um, you also spend a lot of time making it funny for yourself because you have to find a joke. And, and so it's a very pleasurable uh, moment with yourself in front of a white piece of paper because <laughs> it's joyful. So I didn't want to dwell in the sadness. I wanted to dwell in fun and that's how my film and all my work including Darwin's smile is comical
2: uh, i want to say something about you being funny because uh one of my favorite oscar speeches of all time is when your mom won her third oscar for murder on the orient express and she gets up to the mic mm-hmm. and she's ha- she's thrilled to win it But then she also says "Mm, sometimes Oscar has the wrong timing. And she looks at she finds Valentina Cortez in the audience who's up for day for night. She says, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take this from you. And it's like one of the most like humble. And yet you can tell she she so appreciates the the moment, the the time to speak. She's such a brilliant interviewee anyway. Was humor like a huge part of your life growing up? Because obviously both your parents have have such an austerity about them on the screen.
5: Yes, they do have an austerity on the screen, but they were very funny people, especially my dad, who made very dramatic films, the most famous one, are the one that he did right after the Second World War. They were very emotional, heart-wrenching film. and yet Father in Life was very, very funny. I mean, I remember laughing to the point of time I had to leave the room to just catch my breath because he made me laugh so much. And Mama had a very light, charming sense of humour, Uh, father really ha 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 mama more of a smile but yes both of them uh uh, were very amusing and and fun and laughter is something i always say when they say what is your first quality that you're looking in a person and i always say that it makes me her or him laugh (laughs) laughter is very important to me
0: um i would say one of my maybe far left um like f- films that i um enjoy um is maybe your first screen appearance uh and you interact with your mom on the screen um in uh minnelli as a matter of time and um i'm just wondering if you look back fondly on that film because it wasn't received well at the time but you know it was your first moment on screen with your mother um and sort of like how you maybe feel about that film years
5: later Well, you know, I mean, years later now, you know, I lost my parents. Uh, By the time I was 30, I didn't have my father or mother. And uh, I wish I'd had them longer with me. I wish I could work with them and learn more from them. Because what I learned from them, I learned it as a little girl hanging out. But now that I am in the same profession, I have more articulated questions that I can't uh, ask them. Um, That day when my mom asked me, uh, with, with Vincent Minelli asked me to, be, uh, to just play a, a, a one-day uh, mm-hmm. job, play a nun that my mother's character is dying, and I am the nun next to her, uh, that holding her hand as she's dying. And Mama thought it was interesting, because Mama and I resemble each other, and Minelli and Mama thought that it was interesting that when this woman, she plays an old woman, quite confused, she looks up, She sees the nun that is assisting her, but the nun has her face when she was young and was my face. So they like that moment uh, that might be kind of hallucinatory. So I did it because, of course, it was interesting to be with Mama and Minelli and Liza Minelli was in the film. But also it was extremely intimidating. So once I was on set, I remember that day being very um, shy, very uh, troubled, waiting for the day to be over, Also, I think the producer thought, oh, this could be a nice article. So he invited a lot of paparazzi. (laughs) And uh, so, you know, you're even more exposed uh, to criticism when you're the daughter of. They expect you uh, to surprise, to be incredible. And you can never really match the expectations that are so high. So it was a little bit of a torturous day, but. Looking back, I really can't believe that I was in a film with Liza Minnelli, directed by Vincent Minnelli and with my mom. (laughs)
2: It's interesting comparing your roles to specifically your mom's, because I really think of most of what you do as quote unquote, provocative. Like if, if Isabella Rossellini is in a movie like, watch out, you don't know what you're in for. Whereas, you know, your mom has all these famous movies, but she, I would compare her to someone like Greer Garson or something. She's like the leading lady that, we're, you know, whose uh, who's, who's regality and charm we're all kind of enamored by. Is there a specific role of your mom's you would have most liked to play? And do you think there's a role of yours she would
5: have played well? Hmm. I don't know. I never thought. I, I never thought. Uh, I never thought about that. I never thought I would have liked to play my mother. Uh, I was interesting. My mother did a film when she was. Um, was there actually her last feature film? She did it with the uh, Swedish director Ingmar Bergman. Autumn in Sonata. Spor- yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, and mother had a lot of argument with Ingmar Bergman. It's the story of a woman. Uh, not an actress, but a pianist that has a very big career and neglects her family, neglects her daughter for her career. And uh, um, and years later, uh, you know, I think maybe just 10 years ago, the film was done, not 40, 45 years ago, but about 10 years ago, I was at the Berlin Film Festival and there was an homage to Bergman and they were doing a retrospective of his work, including Autumn Sonata. And Liv Ullmann, Uh, the actress on the film with Mama, was there to present the film. And uh, uh, I was asked to join Liv Liv Ullman on stage to present the film, which I did. I was delighted to see Liv. And Liv (laughs) had uh, such criticism of the film that I was really interested, and I always have a kind of a secret dream of remaking um, Autumn Sonata, but with Liv Ullman directing, because she's also a very good director. Mm -hmm. She argued... That, that film, which is a very beautiful, moving film, we all love it, it really is accusatory of women having a career because Bergman himself, although he had wives that were actresses and um, he did a lot of films with with them, he had two, two actresses, uh, um, they were his partner, and, uh, and yet... When, when they continued their career beyond him, maybe he felt that wasn't right. They should be home. They should take care of the family. What about the children they had together? But he was exonerated from this responsibility. And I thought she had such an interesting point of view. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to do the same film, but with leave point of view of a more modern woman who defends Because the film was done 45 years ago and women were still... Um, asking themselves. My mom always said that she didn't choose acting. Acting chose her. It was really a calling. She was only happy if she acted. Um, but she felt very guilty. She had four children and she had to often go away and not being with us. And it was a very enormous conflict. And that was 45 years ago. Nowadays, women have no hesitation in having a career and they would ask the husband to be home and uh, while they were making a film or or they would ask uh, uh, people that give them the job, I mean, this is the next requirement, to be able to bring children to the set so that at the end of the day with the school, they can be a little bit with their parents. The film not to be always shot in a different continent for three months or so that you don't see your family. I mean, there are things that nowadays we all argue uh, and fight, Um so that is, uh, yes, I would like to do Autumn Sonata with Liv Ullman directing.
2: And I just want to pop in and say, if people have not seen Autumn Sonata, the movie is amazing. The interplay between Ingrid Bergman and Liv Ullman is second to none. The drama is unbelievably intense and yet so real, too. It's not a melodrama. It is a real drama. So I really encourage people to go see it.
0: Um. I'm interested by what you said about um, your mother saying that, you know, like, acting chose her. Um, would you say the same for yourself?
5: I don't, I don't know about acting, but probably telling stories. Mm-hmm. I, I do prefer to write and direct and create my shows. I do like to act, but not not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it depend with... <laughs> But no, I don't have the same call. I think that I will always do something. In fact, uh, uh, yesterday my publicist was here in San Francisco where I am now with my show, Darwin Smile, that I'm going to come to Los Angeles next weekend. And she came and I said, I worked very hard this year. And then I said, but at the end of October, I'm going to take two months off to rest. And she said, oh, come on, rest. You never rest. What are you going to do in these two months? <laughs> so it's true that I, I'm i always doing something, something creative even with my farm i mean it doesn't have to be in films uh it can be with the farm It can be uh with other things but i am always finding busy busy um narrative telling stories is what i like
0: Mm -hmm. a follow-up i think to that um you know about the acting and your mother um you talked about autumn sonata you know about how live you know sort of like disagreed with um you know um Ingmar's sort of feelings about women um, and acting and him being the director. Uh, and your mother was obviously um, married to Rossellini and um, you were married to, you know, two directors who, you know, when people talk about film, they're always talking about David Lynch. They're always talking about Martin Scorsese. Um, did you find that you had a great sort of working relationship um, with them, um, while you were married, as you were an actress.
5: So I, I, I was married to Margie, but we never, we never directed me in mm-hmm. any film, uh, and instead, David, we met uh, doing during Blue Velvet, and we fell in love. Um, the, you know, you were asked me before that my mom did films that were, like, great leading lady, and my film is like, oh, watch out, what is she doing? I think that my father was a very much of an avant-garde filmmaker. I mean, nowadays we look back at his film and they are classics, but of course uh, he created a new style that uh, critics called neorealism that was very influential for films. And so this kind of experimental filmmaking and trying different ways of narrative it's something that I grew up with and maybe as I expressed it stronger than my mom, although my mom was one of the very few Hollywood actresses who had a full career in Europe. I mean, if you look at my mom, she worked in Sweden, she worked in uh, in Italy, she worked in France, she worked in America. So she had, uh, it wasn't really a regular, predictable Hollywood, uh, fantastically beautiful career, but just in one, in one country. Um, but uh, so I think that... Uh, uh, I don't know. Sometimes I'm asked, why do you marry? Why did you marry uh, directors? I don't know. First of all, I, I also got married to with Jonathan Witherman, who worked for Microsoft. So he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't a director. <laughs> Occasionally, my lovers were not directors. But I think there is also a familiarity and a common interest. Um, I loved what my parents did. I always knew that I was going to remain in films uh, and work in films or theater and uh, so when I met Marty, there was already uh, a ground of uh, common love. I mean, Marty loves films and I love films. So we watched a lot of films together. We talked a lot of films when we still uh, nowadays, when we call each other, we talk about films. And uh, so it was a ground of bonding.
2: Uh, I mean, we must bring up Death Becomes Her. Certainly the film that comes mm. up most among gay men when we discuss uh, Isabella Rossellini. What do you think is the staying power of, that movie, which I just want to say in general, I can't compare anything else to it. Really, there still is no second death becomes sir. Like it's, it's it's its own genre,
5: really. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, you know, Robert Zemeckis, who is a fantastically successful director in Hollywood, making most successful commercial film like Roger Rabbit, uh, um, Forrest uh, Gump, etc. Yeah. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, he is very experimental, and when I met him, he reminded me very much of my father or David Lynch or Martin Scorsese. He worked with a very small group of uh, friends with whom he went to school or college, and they invented those special effects. And then once they had the special effect, they wrote the story around it. Mm -hmm. And it was very artisanal. I really knew, knew, and I loved Zemakis. I think he's a marvelous man. And we got along very well. Um, And when we did the film, we certainly didn't know that the film was going to be... uh, it became really a film that it is uh, how you call it iconic or uh, absolutely for for the community. <laughs> yeah. Whenever a person says, "Oh, I love your work," you, that becomes, her. I say, "Oh, the person must be gay." Immediately. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: and I've always wondered about that too, you know, just because I we we there are so many. Um, cult gay films you know but you know for robert zemeckis you know making this film you know it's just it it has this fun sensibility in it that you never really see from um male directors of the time or even now you know there's this fun playfulness in it and just the way that you um the women interact in the film like it feels it feels freshly original even now
5: no, it does. It does. I heard that we were going to make a musical for Broadway. Uh, that becomes, or I don't know what happened to it before COVID. So uh, yes, I, I, I agree. Uh, but when we were doing the film, we thought it was just going to be uh, another fun film uh, for, for everybody from family, for, we didn't expect, it is a film for family. I mean, everybody can go see it, but it was particularly impactful uh, with the gay community. Uh, that's what we didn't expect. We were surprised by it and delighted <laughs> that we could represent a particular sense of humor, you know, a, that we capture a particular um, ironic irony <laughs> and a fantasy about women and women's relationship of competition and hatred. And wasn't Bruce Willis a marvelous? Oh, uh, yes. him yeah. He played always uh, oh, kind of the macho, the most beautiful men, played this man completely. Victimized by women, obedient <laughs> <laughs> women. I thought it was extraordinary and fun. Also, how wonderful sense of humor to his own image. How ironic he had been about his own image as this uh, super superhero, super strong, wonderful man uh, of Hollywood to to make fun of himself and his uh, and his uh, image, his public image.
2: Um, I guess our last question is: It's just a so- interesting how inventive you are when it comes to um finding new hyphens to add to your career i mean no one would guess that you would become a farmer that you'd be a scientist uh in addition to being all the things you are already do you see any other additional occupations you'll be adding to your sort of repertoire as the years go on have you are you bubbling up with you know uh, other versions of yourself
5: well i am 70 so i don't know how long uh, (laughs) that is a preoccupation Not only how long I would live, but how long I would be rational. Sometimes I ask them, because I do these things that are unpredictable. So sometimes I go to my best friends and I say, am I going gaga? Am am I okay to do it? Or is it the sign of dementia? When I started to be a farmer, a lot of my friends thought, okay, oh, we thought that it was the beginning of uh, losing it. But now they like my farm. (laughs) My farm is very uh, rational and very together. It's called Bama Farm and it's fine. But yes, sometimes I I do go to the people and say can I do it or is it the first sign of dementia. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> seeming pretty rad to me, so fear not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you. Uh, well, thank you so much for being here with us, Isabella. I mean, this thank is just... you.
5: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You can catch Darwin Smile in Los Angeles, October 8th and 9th at the Luckman Fine Arts Complex. We'll be right back with Keep It. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Lewis, what's yours?
2: Well, the internet threw up at us recently, and it involved uh, (laughs) the impresario, Lena Dunham. Lena Dunham tweeted, I guess she is currently in the promotional period for her new Amazon film, Catherine Called Birdie, and she tweeted... When I go, I want my casket to be driven through the New York City Pride Parade with a plaque that reads, She wasn't for everyone, but she was for us. Who can arrange? Now, I guess there's something tongue-in-cheek about that. She's asking to be, you know, treated messianically in a pride parade. I don't think of it any more than that. I think it's, like, pretty funny, kind of amusing. People reacted... Like she said, I'm the new emperor of America and you all have no rights anymore because I'm your gay God, (laughs) including uh, I'll just read some tweets I've seen going to start living my life with whatever amount of confidence Lena Dunham has that make her think she's an LGBTQ icon. Okay, she's done plenty of great like girls remains an amazing show. There is no second one of girls Uh, uh, industry. Fabulous. I still think tiny furniture is really good it's like people
0: lying about using poppers on watch what happens live. Like that is gay history.
2: That's the, that's iconic right now. I've said it iconic. That's what she is. Uh, there's just something about her in general that has always inspired like 70% too much rage. If it were just, Oh, that was annoying. That'd be one thing, but it's, it can never just be, she was annoying. It was, she's the worst of X, Y, and Z. It's like, you can't, people can't comment on her without snowballing into furor. Uh, and I just want to say that it was a perfectly amusing and slightly zany quote. I don't know. I, I, I just, whatever the gene is that make you, makes you want to, like, fight Lena Dunham, I don't have. And I don't understand it.
0: No one had that energy when, you know, the dwarves walked Snow White in her glass casket through pride.
2: Right. And and Millie Bobby Brown then, of course, hit all of them with her car. which <laughs> was funny. We all laughed.
0: Yeah. Um, I saw Millie parked outside of screenings of bros and maybe that's why people didn't show up right because she was driving the engine
2: that's right yeah <laughs> you're going to be knocked right like off Christine. that AMC curb yeah
0: <laughs> honestly if I were Millie Bobby Brown I would star in a remake of Christine
2: oh my god and that would she's be killing
0: it yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's like how Leah Michelle finally leaned into the illiteracy thing. Like she's doing little Instagram bits now. It's like Millie, come on, hit gay people yeah. with your car. The internet wants it
0: because now the illiteracy jokes are over,
2: right? Yeah, now we can't do them anymore,
0: right? Yeah, people are still doing them, but they're not funny,
2: right? You're that is really interesting, by the way. It is completely defanged now. There's no reason to yeah. make a joke about that.
0: Uh, um, All right, Ira,
2: what is your keep it?
0: My keep it is. A double keep it oh. to um, to two crazy men um, who are like working on rebrands, and I need people to stop giving them oxygen. Okay. The first one, Kanye West.
2: I mean, Kanye West, a legend Je- of this portion of the show.
0: Just did his new show um in Paris and like with with Candace Owens in attendance. I saw that. Um, I his saw new that. bestie wearing White Lives Matter shirts. And oh, God. First of all, I've never met a white life that mattered.
2: <laughs> yeah, mattering, that's a specific area of interest. Yeah. I don't
0: know about mattering. Okay. The only one who's come close is Jennifer Gardner.
3: <laughs>
2: Wow, really? Okay. When she hugged <laughs> Maybe Victor your- Garber that one time and was crying, that did matter. I agree.
0: Um, yours to me, ev- once a week.
2: Right. But then <laughs> yeah. I log off. And then what do I do? Not yeah. matter. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but, um, wow. It's just, it's it's more idiocy that we'd expect from him. But my thing at this point is, um, stop going. Like, there's one thing for his annoying fans online to, like, gas him up in Instagram comments when he does something rude, uh, like stalking Kim Kardashian for months um, and turning into um, the Joker, essentially. But um, going to his fashion show, like, that's different than, like, just, like, listening to a song or two when it comes out. Like, you're going to this. You're sitting there while these shirts are being marched out. Get up and leave. Yeah, And the thing, too, is that like black people have already decided that like we're sort of done with them and this trash for like a long time. Uh, and sometimes, you know, like you give him excuses and, you know, you keep giving him an inch and an inch and an inch. But it's like he used to decry not being a part of the fashion industry uh, and worked so hard to get into it because he was knocking down doors for black people. He was really just knocking down doors for himself because uh, there's no black uplift happening. Um, it's the people in the industry. Who are now propagating this, you know, like by giving him attention, giving him press, giving him the oxygen like you are part of the problem now.
2: I mean, he he, he gave you all the clues to quote that movie, The Snowman. I mean, he's standing there with Candace <laughs> Owens. That's when you can say, oh, enough is enough. This is over. There's nothing here.
0: Shout out to Jaden um, for being there. Jaden Smith. But leaving and tweeting, I dipped. <laughs> done and we love an example and tweeting tweeting i don't care who it is if i don't feel the message i'm out and let me just say that is a spiritual successor to one of my favorite quotes ever um kim cattrall's um i don't want to be in a situation for even an hour where i'm not enjoying myself
2: <laughs> <laughs> which almost sounds like a threat but I do love that quote.
0: <laughs> uh, so that's how I feel about that. And the other one is, I don't think we've even talked about him on this show, to be honest, but Christian Walker.
2: Oh, my God. Who who today the is like ga- standing up for his, uh, his rights and railing against his dad. Anyway, go ahead.
0: Yeah. Christian Walker, this annoying TikToker who, you know, is like sort of like. That um, shop HRH girl who's always screaming um, and she's kind of funny, um, but he the comedy comes from just like him saying, like, fuck you, liberals and like, fuck you, gays are doing too much. And it's like almost campy and a parody, but he's used he's used it to create a brand. And like every time people share his shit, like it just like hate sharing it does well for him you yeah. know and also like and, irony
2: sharing it like oh he really spilled but he said faggots are too much or whatever you know i
0: know and so he's the son of herschel walker um who somehow has um more children than nick cannon um and, and, but I believe- that's, all, all, and
2: that's, that's like a Johann sebastian bach situation at this point my god
0: and they are all like secret children that we've never heard of before i mean like he has more kids than Marlena Evans on days of our lives at this point. Okay. <laughs> and like Stefano Damira did not hold Herschel Walker on a secret Island and have him give birth to children without his knowledge. Okay? Well, you don't know that like, for this sure, is a, but we
2: can guess. <laughs> yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> it is. He is a vile person. Yeah. You know, like he's, you know, he's um said so much gross shit in the media. Like he's also an idiot uh at like we knew Trump was an idiot like we know Ron DeSantis is an idiot this is a new level of stupid
2: Uh, nothing going on yeah
0: you know um there are words I want to say about him we're in mixed company so I'm gonna keep it cute (laughs) uh (laughs) um I'm gonna be like Annie M in uh Wizard of Oz, you know these words I' like to call you, but I'm a Christian woman
2: <laughs> <laughs> Wow, didn't know you knew annie m's uh, uh, uh virtues so well
0: um but the fact that Christian used to support his father and all his like um racist and like um anti abortion and like just general gross rhetoric
5: and hypocrisy to, yeah.
0: and hypocrisy only to now be like. I supported my father until he lied to our family and, like, continued to run when we told him not to. And he's going against my morals. And I'm like, girl, you don't have any morals. Shut no. the fuck up.
2: No, it's, it's like when Ann Coulter does, uh, set, tweets an anti-Trump thing or something. It's like, you think I care? You think, like, you're, now you're adding to the conversation by, quote, unquote, coming to your senses? Like, give me a break.
0: Yeah, you know? So don't let him rebrand. He's dumb. This, this just feels like another ploy to be honest, and like, even if he is fighting with his father, you know, like, take it to Maury, okay, like, take it to the Carambo show, I don't know, but like, (laughs) just like, I I have no interest in it, and if you're shocked that your father turned on you, you know, to quote um, the iconic Brandy Marshall in Selling the O.C., one thing about those tables, they turn.
2: Now you've got me thinking about Maury and Connie Chung. They were on Watch What Happens one time, and I was like, I never see these people out together. Why aren't they? Why don't don't we give them a show on like A&E or something?
0: Do you remember Screen 3? Yes. Uh, Jay and Silent Bob, when they see um, Gail Weathers, it's Connie fucking Chung. Hey, Connie, how's Maury? (laughs) (laughs) But of course, we're
2: too distracted by Courtney's um, chopped up bangs to really process jokes at that point. Yes
0: horrific horrific um those are my keepers i have one more oh
2: there's a third one okay great
0: twitter circles
2: uh, uh, get this i am completely with you
0: twitter circles is like a place where like it's basically close friends on twitter and a lot of the gays are using it now for um you know just to post nudes the gays who haven't crossed over in only fans they just want some light titillation yeah. you know but um My main problem with circles is, like, people are using it for that, and people are also using it to talk shit, which obviously. Right. But stop screenshotting people's Twitter circles.
2: Oh, that's vile. Stop
0: stop being a snake. And no one's screenshotting – I'm sure people are screenshotting the nudes and sending them around. But, like, if someone is dragging someone in a Twitter circle, and you screenshot it, and you send it to the person who's being dragged, you, like –
2: it's unbelievable
0: yeah you are gutter bald trash okay like you were so low i can't even sweep you off the floor okay like it's just childish snake it's it's childish it's snake behavior yeah and then like and also inserting yourself in
2: a conversation
0: yeah yeah like it's you know you're not in the kool-aid you don't know the flavor okay like amb conversation see your way out of my twitter circle um, uh, I have, you know, I just think that doing shit like that is like so rude. And I also then think like, don't post that online, um, and go back and forth about something that was in someone's Twitter circle. I mean, cause you weren't supposed to see it in the first place.
2: Can I tell you my problem with Twitter circles? I don't like seeing what I would call other people's grinder messages, like, like mm. starting conversations and like, and like setting things up to me, it's a little bit like, you're performing. You're. I, I. feel gay men in general. Well, actually, people in general are a little obsessed with exclusivity, and like mm-hmm. to see people like kind of flirting and setting up. I, I don't know. It's sort of like it, it's. It's like you're saying you're all in cahoots with each other, and then like if you're you're only in some circles and not others, you're like seeing I get a, a it. fragment Hashtag
0: of cahoots. Yeah,
2: <laughs> you're you're seeing like fragments of conversations <sighs> and realizing you're not in others, and like it seems like people sort of. I, I don't know. I, it just fills me with a nitty feeling.
0: I agree with that. Because I like, you know, not to say bring the mystery back to romance, you yeah. know, but it's like, we're all faggots. We know we're hooking up with each other. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you you know, when someone like um, who lives in Los Angeles, you know, like goes to D.C. for the weekend and they take a photo with this one gay. It's like, OK, we we know they fucked. Right. Yeah. But that's that's the mystery of it. I hate the like the someone posts like a new right and then. There's the other responses to it on in the Twitter circles where it's like, oh, when are we gonna meet up or things like that. That's what you mean, yes, right? Yes, right. You know, it's right. like, like I don't need to see this conversation happening in real time. Take it yeah. to DMs.
2: No, right, exactly. Like, why is this public? There's something gross about that particular interaction being public. I can't explain it. Like, maybe I feel almost yeah. like neocon saying that, but it just, <laughs> I don't. Like I mean,
0: that. not to be a not to be a prude, you know. Like, I love what our friends post. Dudes. I love our friends who right. do OnlyFans, you know. But I'm just like. There's certain aspects of it where like and OnlyFans is work, you know, uh, or if you just want to post your shit like that's just like who you are. But there's there's a next level of performing that just feels like you're doing too much. Like yeah. you're performing, letting everyone know that you're having sex. And it's like, we yes, get it.
2: yes, it's it's, it's like. it's not sexy for one thing but two. i just like insta close friends better for this reason it's like yeah by all means post like nudes or whatever and and post them to whoever you want to see them but then i don't need to see the next part where you're like oh this x y and z person reached out to me and can you believe it and all that so
0: yeah Look at us, uh, yeah. <laughs> Tipper <or> Gore.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god, we have. We should have a full episode about the Filthy Fifteen and the weird-ass Vanity Six song she she picked to be on that list.
0: Uh, all right. That's our show this week. Uh, shout out to Isabella Rossellini for being an icon.
2: Yes, and such an awesome interviewee, of course. Yes.
0: We're gonna see you backstage. We're gonna see what the farm girl. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Ward. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III. And Louis Fertel. Our editor is Charlotte Landis. And Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team,
2: Matt DeGroot, Nara Malconian, and Delan Villanueva for production support every week.